Stories That Matter Studios. I'm Nance Haxton, and this is The Streets of Your Town, The Journo Project. This podcast is all about recognising great Australian journos wherever they may be around the world. With the media in Australia under increasing attack and hard-won freedoms under threat, there's no better time to celebrate and highlight the work of the top journalists from down under. He's the kid from Brisbane's tough outlying northern suburbs who went on to win two Walkley Awards for his powerful feature writing. Now Trent Dalton adds screenwriter and international best-selling author to his credits. His first novel, Boy Swallows Universe, recently cleaned up the Australian Book Industry Awards, where all four major prizes were won by the same author for the first time in its history. But as he explains in this episode of Streets of Your Town, the Journo Prize, Project, he credits all of his success to his grounding as a reporter, considering himself a journalist first and author second. My name's Trent Dalton. I'm a journalist um, and I'm a writer, I guess, moreover. <laughs> so Don't even get me started on titles. I could talk to you for an hour on titles. And <laughs> we my can philosophise about that. I've got anxiety over what I actually call myself. I could tell you, I could do a thesis on who I am, <laughs> it's, Nance. It's so, wonderful um, yeah. having you here for the streets of your town, the Journo Project. Really appreciate your insights for everyone listening in. It's an honour to be here. I think it's brilliant what you do, Nance, and Aww. I think this whole particular journal project is really important and i'm really grateful that you're here thank you so much trent well look i'm sitting here and i've got the two prompts in front of me i've got the shorthand book and your book boy swallows universe because i think really they both kind of work quite integrally together don't they would i be fair in saying that oh that's the kind of story of my life right there in two objects a spirax notebook and a um (laughs) and my novel like that novel right there is zero to twenty I swear to God, the novel um, and the Spyrax notebooks, 20 to 40. And I'm 40 right now, so that's all I need to really emblematically, symbolically sort of picture my life. You've, you've nailed it. That's it right <laughs> because there. Because really um, this this book, as you have said a few times, is a bit of a thinly veiled autobiography and there are so many parts of it that mm. I can hear your voice a bit coming through in Eli. Um, but particularly when he talks about how... He was going to become a journalist from quite young. And I just wonder, is that similar? Was that your experience? Oh, that's great. I love that you picked <laughs> up on that. They were, they were my favourite parts of that book to write. The, the kid, he's so desperately wanting to get a job at the Courier Mail. And, and be the crime writer. And be the crime writer. Well, that, <laughs> that that's all kind of true, that stuff, as in my interest in crime dates back to my youth where I was kind of surrounded by some very interesting Brisbane and um, Queensland kind of fairly notorious people and I had always thought about what motivated them I was always struck even as a kid I'm not kidding like kind of just what makes those people do what they do and and like on a much smaller sense what made I don't know people like my old man do the things that he did you know I mean so that that very fundamental kind of deep thought has kind of driven my journalism and and that was kind of real I'm not so much as directly kind of like I didn't you know Eli Bell in the book has it almost like it's just he could get it tattooed on his arm but it's uh I was much more loose in the sense of I was pretty bad at school and I, I didn't know at all what I wanted to do, but I knew I could put words together. Like that was the one thing I could do, Nance. Like, and, and, and it was the one thing that saved me in school in many ways. And I did have an epiphany reading things like, like long, and I meant it, like, like long form features in Rolling Stone magazine. And, and also 
long form features in the Courier Mail. Like my old man was getting the Courier Mail and throwing it at me and saying, "You must read this." Like if you're going to have any thought, he he believed the same way I do. He didn't structure it in this way. I got this off Dennis Atkins, but um, <laughs> but uh, he believed without telling me so. He believed that journalism isn't the act of buying the paper is an act of activism, if that makes sense. You know, you are actively getting engaged with the world. And my old man believed that. Mm-hmm. He didn't put it the way, in the brilliant way Dennis Atkins put it. But that was kind of him essentially saying, you know, like, kid, get involved and learn about this place. There's an amazing world out there. Even though you live in Housing Commission, Brackenridge, there's Berlin out there and there's Taiwan mm-hmm. and there's bloody Shanghai. Read about it, you know, find out about it. And so he was the first man to really put me onto journalism. And my old man worshipped those journos back in the day. You know, he really... So he knew their bylines? Oh, mate, he totally would talk about... <laughs> he read the stuff of, of the guy that I would later sit opposite Headley Thomas. You know, I mean, I'm telling you that, like, you know, I that is a fact. And people like Tony Kosh and stuff, he admired mm. the works. And so when I got to work with these guys, he was always going, you're bloody kidding me. You're sitting near that guy. <laughs> and he loved Mike O'Connor. You know, he just loved having a laugh at Mike O'Connor stuff. I sat near Mike O'Connor for two years in the Courier Mail. You know, so mm. my history with that sort of stuff that I plugged into, the, into Boy Swallow's universe was kind of me almost doing what you're doing it was me just uh, you know taking my hat off to these to this kind of history of queensland journalism that has been such a part of my life and i wanted to i wanted to show readers why a kid would want to become a journo you know and that's what eli bell truly believes in the book eli bell really believes in the power of journalism you know he's and he's got this romantic kind of view of journalism that i still carry with me at 40 you know really you haven't got jaded yet generally not and the kid in the book is always (laughs) his romanticism and his kind of slightly misguided kind of positivity is always being undermined by the realities of the day job, which is, mate, I'm sorry, stop dreaming, kid. Stop putting all your fancy, colourful, flowery words in these stories. All we we need is the scoop and we need to sell tomorrow's paper. And that's the reality, right? And that's what I'm always sort of getting as well. And there's like so many journos that I work with who are geniuses and they know that principle better than anyone. I I can't get a scoop to save myself, you know, and I admire those people like my man Headley, you know, who I mentioned before, who I freaking love dearly. pulls a scoop of the most amazing profound nature on a kind of weekly basis and I you know I could tell you 10 people that I've sat right next to who I've watched do that and I go that's incredible and that's what I'm tapping into in that book also the kids mm. also looking at these people that he's working with and going how did they do that I don't have that I don't have that mm. talent but the kid finds his talent in the book which is look the thing the wonder and the and the joy you have for life might actually be the thing that readers might hook onto as well one day. You know what I mean? And that that's sort of almost slightly the story of my and, life. And yeah. I think it kind of shows the complexities of a newsroom too, doesn't it, Trent, that you need people with different skill sets. I mean, oh. even I'm sure Hedley Thomas would say we can't all be investigative journalists, but Trent, you've won two Walkleys, <laughs> one story that I still carry with me in my heart to this day of that, that awful, awful incident in Cairns. And oh, yeah. And yeah, I just yeah. think of, yeah, if I could get some insights from you and yeah, really what sure. what... Oh. What drives you to find those stories, to tell the deeper stories of really quite traumatic events, really, in Queensland's history? Thank you for mentioning that. I'm really proud yeah. of 
that one. I'm, I'm, the reason I'm proud of it is because it was the legwork involved in that. Like it wasn't, you know, they call us the sheltered workshop, us magazine writers. They sometimes call us the shelter. It's like we, we do have a lucky life as journos, right? We get a bit of time to work our pieces and put them together. And I, I totally am the first to smile at every dig that I cop about being one of these lucky magazine writers. But that piece was put together through the, the kind of classic bits about journalism that I love, which is just door knocking until you can until you've run out of doors to knock you know and I and I was really that often is the, the part that I love and and it and look I mean I don't want to keep going back to this weird past of mine which is like these oh, crimson but I think stuff. they do link together oh cool making cool. a well, positive well, out of that yeah and, well mm. you know one thing that I'd always learned you know in those worlds was never underestimate what is behind those closed doors mm. and and that that is something that had always fascinated me. I grew up in this kind of housing commission area, Brackenridge, for the majority of my youth, you know, and and that was an amazing kind of... I could name you just four streets, you know. It was like Cram Street, McKeering Street, (laughs) Playford, and then up to, like, Gwaine Road. And those areas would just have the most profound mix of human beings behind closed doors. And and in summer, I'd walk up these streets because it's hot as hell in Brackenridge during a high summer, like we're talking like, you know, January, February. Everyone would be shirtless and they'd have their these massive housing commission windows. They all opened out the front and there was this wide window. You'd open it up and these... Th- domestic theatres would spill out into the street and you'd see all kinds of things and all kinds of horrors and all kinds of wonders at the same time, right? And so that always stayed with me. I was always just trying to get at the reasons why people were doing the things in my neighbourhood. This... Did it sort of hone your sense of empathy, do you think? I, and completely, to the point where I, I sometimes go too far with the empathy. You know, my, And my wife will read a piece mm. I've done and she goes, oh, I think... I think you're feeling too much for this guy wow. and he doesn't deserve your empathy. And it's really interesting sort of things like that and, yeah. and I have to always dial it back or dial it up or mm. and really be conscious of that very mm. thing. But that, that horrendous incident in Cairns, you know, a mother takes the lives of her own children in, you know, a notorious Queensland case of such tragedy. And I think many other people were running a mile from that story trend. It was oh. so traumatic. It was, I think Queensland just didn't know really how to mourn this. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, was it absolutely mm. was, wasn't it? And that, that's exactly what was in my head flying up there, right? So you fly mm. up there, you're talking to your editor, right? My editor, Christine Midap. Best magazine editor in the world. I'll just say that on the record. We're talking on the phone. It's like, what more? What can I bring to this? So why should we? Why should we make the flight? Right? It's you know, there's like you know budgetary reasons why. Okay, it's going to take some time. How can you justify this action trend of what you're about to do? Right? And I go, I don't know what's up there, but I need to go to the street to find out. You know, I don't know where the story is because, as you say, Nance, like people had been at arm's length from that story. So. You know, and it's just a matter of asking the editor, can I just go up there and pound the pavement? Will you just, will you fund this for letting, give me like three days to do that, right? And I'll so just your go impulse to, was to go right to that street. Just go to the street. And, and, and yeah. you know what? In many ways, I love those microcosm stories mm. where you do have a, a, a boundary, finite, a place to work with, you know, mm. and you can study that dish, you know what I mean? And you, you, you know what you're working with. And so you can give yourself parameters. All right, I'll go to that end. I'll go there. And if I haven't gotten anything by, by there, I'll call it quits or I'll finish this street by 4 p.m. And then I'll, you know what I mean? I sort of like, I, I, I actually like that where it's like, it's all set in a place. It's like, um, I've done so many stories. I did a story on Groot Island recently, which was really great because it's contained by the island, you know, and it's sort of like, you can tell your story within that island. You can tell 
a minor story. You can tell someone who's dealing with this horrendous and quite bizarre and almost mythological disease. And so you can tell stories within mm. frameworks that are sort of set up for you already. And that, that sort of is always, from a feature writing perspective, quite interesting. So, yeah, I went to Murray Street in this place that is kind of this street where all of the social issues that our country faces are in that street. No, it's a very so, troubled area. Isn't it's a it? troubled area. That's yeah, right. You know, yeah. and it's like you know. So you go there, and, and then, and but then also you're going there with a bit of space to breathe in between. So people are going, yeah, there was. The news guys came in. It's a classic feature writing thing, you know. It's it's cheesy as anything, but the news guys come in, and then we can come in on the back end and say, look. What are we missing here? What are we missing? What what did what did we all miss? You know, in that in that flurry of activity, we will be there. That street will get smashed in the first seven days, but let's go back there after thirty days, and that was sort of essentially where that piece was. And go back there thirty days after that again. You know what I mean? So, and that's what a feature writer can do. And that that excited me that day. I was really, yeah, like I was really touched that that story was recognised for. Also, the things they said about that was, you know, not coming in there in a kind of. You know, I walk that fine line between exploitation and reportage, mm. right? Like, that is that big thing. What, what more can I get from that street and what more can I take? What point am I just taking and not giving back anything to mm. the reader and, and giving back anything to those people in the street? So, and how do you establish their trust, Trent, when they've had all this mm, media coverage? Mm, that mm. must be really challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's always, like, just that classic doorknock thing, right? It's just you go there and... Show I, your face. I completely... No, I'm, I like my... I am, you know, I am no poker face, man. It's like, I mean, <laughs> anyone who knows me knows that. I just go there and I go, look, I will tell you where I'm going with this. I tell you what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to ask you to help me write the story that needs to be written about this street. So that's oh. the best I can ask. Of, that's the best I can offer them and the best I can ask. And... and Look, the hope that maybe I'll leave them better than how I found them, you know, and, and that's sort of, that's not always possible, right? And I don't think it's the journo's job to always do that. You know, mm. sometimes they have to sort of be tough or whatever and, mm. and live with the lack of sleep that night. But most of the time, well, in that street, that's what I did. And it's just time. You sit there and someone offers you a beer, smash down the beer. Someone <laughs> offers you a, a freaking Milo, smash down the Milo. Have a cup of tea, have six cup of teas that day if you need to because that's where the story lies. It lies in the time that you're spending in that person's living room. And then while you're in that living room, you've got your Spyrax notebook and <laughs> you've got your recorder on and you get that recorder going and if they don't mind that, then you're writing all the notes in the Spyrax notebook of the picture that's on the wall and the and the, and the the hole that's in the wall over there and the the way the kid's coughing in the corner over there and you're taking down all these notes and you just... So you're, you're building the story as you're walking along the street and that's what a feature writer's meant to do, right? You're meant to take the people there with... Um, I've got a sign. I've got a sign over there. I, <laughs> I, I, I call it Five Cents It, like Five Cents It, actively write it in the sense of five senses, like all, all of the senses, like, you know, oh, okay. what is that street literally? Mm. What are you smelling? What, what are, are you hearing? hearing? Mm. What is it? What are you touching? What is the, you know, every, everything, you know, it's sort of like, what are, yeah. So rather it's sort of like, just what you can see. It's rather so than just, than it's so much more than just mm. a quote, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the thing. So it's, 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 it, it is definitely quotes, killer quotes and killer context. That's the, the big two, you know, but, but also I've realized, so just taking that, taking that reader, all those people down in Brisbane, all the way down from, from to Hobart who, who didn't get to go to Murray Street in Cairns. So, okay, can you take them there, Trent Dalton, okay? We're trusting you to take us there with responsibility and with depth and kind of, you know, and kind of take us to places we've never been. And that's the, that's the hope 
that you know we all have and that takes time like as i think i was reading that part of your method sometimes you'll be at a person's place for up to four hours just to get those comments about a picture (laughs) on the wall i mean look nance i can go into the psychology of that (laughs) i mean it's i think sometimes i'm i don't know what i'm trying to do in that living room like to the point where the person i know they're looking at their watch and going when will this guy just leave my house like he's just He's like just been here for so long and now I'm starting to worry about him. You know what I mean? And then I do wonder like, why am I sitting there like asking these people, why am I going for more and more and more? Like, what am I trying to work out about them that is helping me trying to work out something about myself? And I realized after 20 years of doing that, the length, just the length, like why do I do that for four hours? And then I go and, you know how long it, you know, you know how long it takes to transcribe a, oh, an interview, yeah, right? Exactly. So, so double it, right? Or triple it sometimes, <laughs> you know, it's so monotonous, that transcription. But why am I there listening to it over and over again? And then why am I bloody crying again? You know what I mean? Like, mm. so what am I trying to unpick and unravel in my own head that I was trying to unravel inside that living room, you know? And so like, I'm starting to realize and I've started, and I don't know, I think it's the writing of Boyce Waller's universe that has mm. kind of made me realize that all those years of doing that and going into these largely Queensland suburban living rooms, what I was trying to work out the things that were motivating the people in my own life. You know what I mean? So it's really quite deep for me, the whole journalistic process. And that was my great catharsis, you know, like that was my, it bloody kept my head kind of together. I think in many ways, I think it really, really helped. And, And I think it was probably the best thing I could have done because I think there is another alternative road where I'm not a journalist and I'm trying to work that shit out by smashing down Jim Beam, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I I think that is the great, strange kind of detour of my life. Well, and it could have gone that way, Trent. I wondered, I've heard you talking about your father and I'm hoping Mm. you might relate that story, Mm. but Mm. with the the 20 uh, rollies on the bed reading all day long, I'm just fascinated by perhaps surrounding you by literature and what a Mm. difference that made in those choices in your life. Oh, oh, Mm. okay, oh. It made every difference. I mean, it, everything. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, that guy wakes up, you know, yeah, he slept on a high jump mattress that he got doing community service at Nashville Primary School. Thank God I went to Brighton State School, right, which is the neighbouring primary school. Thank God the court had the wisdom to send Dad to Nashville Primary, not Brighton State School. That would have just been mortifying. But um, it was embarrassing enough because I had mates at Nashville Primary as well. But uh, one of the things he got from that stint was he spoke to the janitor who was throwing out the high jump mattress. And Dad's like, what are you doing with that mattress? I'll, I'll, I'll use that. And, um, you know, it became his bed. And he'd wake up each, he'd wake up each morning and roll these, you know, dead set, roll 20 drum. This is, much, this is how much of an avid reader that guy was. It was like a... It was like a sport for him, you know. It was like the way people, you know, footy players wash their mouth guards and pack their footy bags. Dad rolled his drum and laid it out on it, you know, and, you know, lays these 20 cigarettes out on a, on, a, on his bed and just like, all right, commence reading, you know. And he'd read for six hours straight some massive door-stopping novel that he'd picked up at the local um, Lifeline for two bucks. And um, That was his job. That was that his was job, you know. Well, yeah. that's it. That's it. And there was, I think there was some deep, deep and very complex reasons why he was doing that. And I think there was some stuff that he, a lot of stuff that he was battling down that hallway and in that sort of smoky room that he would spend his whole time in. I know for sure he was battling a lot of stuff. And mm. one thing he would do, Nance, 
since was come out there and he'd talk to my beautiful older brothers about the book he'd just read and we'd sit mm-hmm. that's all we'd do we'd talk narrative we'd talk story and we'd talk Tolkien and, and we'd talk the narrative of the latest Robert Ludlum book or we'd talk about the narrative of Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs and Papillon all these books that my old man was handing to me at 12 years old and saying this is a ripping read do yourself a favour and get in the world of of, of these people like John Steinbeck who will change your life and that guy did you know so it's like those guys then you know so you start reading I don't know I I started reading football biographies right like the Alan Langer biography and then like I mean literally like that that's where it starts right sport (laughs) and then it goes to rock music like so then you're reading about Pearl Jam and Guns N' Roses and then you're reading about the works of Steinbeck and then you're reading the works of Steinbeck. You know, so it's sort of like you're just moving deeper and deeper and deeper into emotion and into interesting things that will be the great gifts that you'll take. You know, those are the gifts. It's those inspri- mm. inspiring words that are the things that took me into journalism. And you know help I mean? you find your voice. And help you find your voice. Mm. Exactly. Well, that's it. Hey, right. Mm. I mean, that's it. What are you going to offer in, in the journalistic world? Yeah, maybe you can offer a new way of looking at things that are just happening in your little Brisbane, right? Your little neck of the woods in Brisbane. And then, you know, if you can write about that beautiful city for a bit and then, you know, maybe you can then go write about the country that you're living in and maybe people around the country might be interested in the way that you see Australia. And so that's all that, that's all that, that stuff. And that all starts in that hallway, in that smoky room with my old man, you know, like, and so there's the, the great gifts that that guy gave me. I mean, by the time I started writing for the Courier Mail, Nance, I mean, you should have seen my, my old man, like you could understand. So he would say to us all the time, like he would say to me, don't you dare. Yeah. You know, he had the grace. He was a complete rebel, like covered in tats. He had the words, <laughs> he had fuck you, like tattooed, tattooed on the inside of his bottom lip. No, dead set. I, I, he, he would, he would make wow. these, he would make, make these like hor- horrific dinners and we'd always pay out on him about what a bad cook he was. And then he'd just show his bottom lip to us and, you know, just like, fuck, fuck you. And, uh, but it's like, he was a complete rebel, but um, he had the grace to always say to us boys you know like he was and he was front and court and stuff at like in his 60s and uh but he, he had the grace to tell us boys with like to the point where i'll kick your ass if this doesn't happen but it's like don't you dare follow in my footsteps and and that was a beautiful mm. gift to us as in like look look at the things i've done and look at the things you know okay for example look at the things i've done with the bottle all right for example just something mm. as simple as that you know like which are great temptations for me still you know Mm -hmm. but look where i took that and maybe you could take it somewhere else and do something else you know not not do it so hard and and do this hard though you could you could take (laughs) you could be passionate about other things you know what i mean and sort of that's all those lessons that this beautiful guy i mean i'm getting emotional there's a stonefish (laughs) up on my shelf it's it's my old man's my this very inspiring kind of thing because Mm -hmm. he's not with us now this beautiful guy and he kind of last thing he gave me was this kind of you know my brothers he let you know gave it to my brothers i just happen to have it in my my (laughs) downstairs area it belongs to my brothers as well Mm. but um yeah stonefish that he fished out of palmerston passage on bribey island i only reason i mention it because it's like you know i think about that guy on a daily basis when i'm down here writing and and it's kind of all of this stuff but by the time i got to the courier mail and talking about you know we, this is a podcast about just the importance of journalism my old man saw that 
deeply. You know, mm. he, he really got that. He wasn't, I mean, he, he was so proud that his son became a journo, you know, and it was sort of, I was so proud to be able to sort of write things that he'd read on a Saturday morning. It was very powerful to me when he would send something that he approved of, you know mm. what I mean? It's like, yep, you did that You did that one all right. He'd send a text, you know, just like, nailed it, Trent. Nailed it. You know, read it, nailed it. You just didn't have to say any more than that. Read it, nailed it. Four words, you know. And that would be like the highlight of my Saturday afternoon because I knew that of all the people in Australia, it's Noel Dalton who's going down to the newsagent <laughs> first to pick up that magazine and read what, what his son's done. And, and um, you know, and then it all becomes full circle. So we'd watch right. people like Wally Lewis together <laughs> And then next thing you know, I'm doing a story on Wally Lewis about Wally Lewis's namesake, Wally Lewis, who was a you know a World War One veteran. And, you know, I'm, you know, so then you're doing these stories. Everything comes full circle. Yes. Dad knows full well how yes. much how giddy I'd be sitting in the presence of the king. You know, so it's like all these bizarre things. And and, and even um, your social justice bent, I think of it again. But your other Walkley World, you're for on that domestic violence story. So you're going from yes, these amazing homages, I suppose, but also still you. Using that empathy that oh, you have and well, to, why do to I... look beyond those you know that was a bit ahead of its time I think I, it's fair to say Trent you know oh, it's a lot lovely, more man. focused now oh, yeah why did I why was I going there though like mm. 10 years ago right I asked myself even that it's like well mm. yeah it's because my freaking beautiful mum dragged her boys through freaking DV shelters and we saw all that shit, mm-hmm. you know, firsthand. And it's so weird. I don't even realise it when my editor, Christa, that, that story was my editor, Christine, comes up and says, you know, when you say, you know, ahead of its time, it's Christine Midap who's ahead mm-hmm. of her time. She, she came up to me distinctly remember. She said, we, it is our responsibility to do a story on this, in, the insane amount of women who are on a freaking weekly basis dying from domestic violence. And, and it was sort of like, yeah. And I, I sort of said, she just sort of said, I think you'd write a good piece on this. And it was like, I think I said to her even at the time, oh, I really would really, I really want to do this. I really want to do it right. Mm. You know, and kind of, I didn't really rave onto her or any, I just think she knew, I think I might've even just said something like, yeah, no, this is pretty close to me. I'd really appreciate the time to do this right. And, and that really led to something that I've been writing about for 10 years, basically. And it was amazing people working in that sector who said, okay, if you are going to do this right, mate, why don't you do it about the men? And, uh, and then suddenly I found myself through the amazing generosity of people. As you know, these mm. stories build, you've got to find all these people, these backers who all then... All the pieces of the puzzle. All the pieces of the puzzle, mm. right? It's just a puzzle. It's just a puzzle. <laughs> Nonfiction is a puzzle that exists, right? The people that you interview hand you the pieces in a box, and it's your role as the feature journalist to assemble the pieces of that puzzle in a way that's that does justice to the story and is and is entertaining to the reader. And, and uh, fiction writing, you're carving the pieces of the puzzle, mm. and uh, and that's sort of a, an interesting difference I've found um, between the two. And I love doing both; they're both mm. amazing puzzles to put together. But um, yeah, and that 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 DB thing, those people who help you put the puzzle together, they're the ones who get you inside to the prison rehab center where there's 20 blokes sitting in a circle and they're saying to each other things like, oh, I don't know what she's scared about. I I only locked her inside a car and poured petrol all over the car and threatened to set it on fire. But bloody hell, I didn't do it, you know, and like things like that. You're, You're there 
and your freaking mind's being blown mm. and you're going this is that was Redcliffe right where that was it was like it was like this is freaking happening on my doorstep you know there are people out there and in the suburbs in the right suburbs where we live. and these blokes I mean one in four of those blokes in the prison yard are in there because they freaking bash their their partners you know and it's like this is our world this is this is freaking Queensland perfect one day what is it beautiful one day yeah. perfect the next world yeah it is true that's a true statement but it's freaking dark as hell as well sometimes you know? and we and need I, to we've got a responsibility to tell those stories to tell those stories right mm-hmm. and it all comes from the journalism all the stuff mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff i say in that book that i wrote is all stems from just those years of just knocking on those doors you think and, so it really led oh, from oh, com- what the com- journalism led to completely. your completely like there's the characters in that book that mm-hmm. all stem from that i mean it oh man there's no doubt about it now it's like the real dangerous villains in that book right and people go Wow, that's almost like Silence of the Lambs. The way the place your books, your place your book goes, right? Mm. I'm going. Oh yeah, you think so? You think that's sort of fiction? Well, that all stems from dark stories I've covered on the streets of Brisbane that I've done in feature pieces, where you would not believe the things that are down the end of those hallways and down in those basements across Queensland. That is a fact. Do you feel like it was almost an apprenticeship in a way, or is that a bit too simplistic, or just yes. those skills really? Are you kidding me? I, I, I <laughs> went to the best possible writer's workshop for 20 years. Mm. That was that was that building I go to still in Bowen Hills, mm. where I'm surrounded by 300 or so journos who are plugging away each day, shaping, crafting stories. up, And then, moreover, I worked with editors, really nuanced smart editors who shape your stories and show you all about story structure. There's a woman named Kathy Osman who I distinctly remember when I just first sort of real proper feature writing job on Q Weekend on the Courier Mail when it just started up. This woman, Kathy Osmond, and she works on the on with me to, to this day mm-hmm. and uh, on the Weekend Osmag. And she her knowledge of story structure is up there with the greatest book editors, you know, in America. I swear to God, just in terms of her knowledge of narrative and where you place things and payoffs and, and planting seeds that flower later in the narrative, all that amazing stuff she was very familiar with and taught me a lot about how to do that and so but if it's just time you know it's like it's like everyone says you know you want to be a pianist you know just put the hours in and my great thing is that story boy swallows universe was in me for quite some time right and uh I needed to do the journalism thing for 20 years to write that story properly. You know, wow, to so enable you to find a way to, to do it. To find a way to do it properly mm, and to do mm. it justice. And I'm so glad I didn't write it at 22 when I'd only mm. been in journalism for two years because it would have been angsty and it wouldn't have had any of the hope or any of the nuance or the love that it has in it. Even the ending, I think, was very full of hope, oh, actually. When you think you, of where it came from, you. oh, yeah, yeah I thought that, know, what, that's a very deliberate act. Totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. Like, that was a very much an act of, mm. of doing that. And that's all the journalism stuff kicking in and you're going no I've, I've seen it too many times where people do have their redemption story or people do recover or people you know people do find their happy endings and that becomes that comes out of feature writing too because mm. you get to go back and find 
the happy ending as well sometimes and oftentimes it's a tragic ending in feature writing but that's time right again it comes back to that time and that's what you know the kid in the book's mm. very conscious of he's very conscious of the idea of time and how that's all prison <laughs> theory that is that's all just like Slim Halliday this guy that yes. I happened to know when I was a kid he used to talk about that all the time the depth of time because he spent 30 freaking years in the slammer you know he had a lot of time a lot of time a lot of time <laughs> but it's encouraging I think for young people trying to come up and perhaps emulate a part of what you're doing Trent that it's it is a bit of a marathon not a sprint and don't try and rush yourself to to be that beautifully crafted perfect writer right from the outset yeah. oh Nance so true hey mm. you've seen that right mm. like it's like get the gig get that just get the foot in the door don't worry about even getting in the paper if you're worried about it or if don't worry getting your mug on TV. Don't worry. Your foot's in the door and just the biggest thing, the biggest thing for all those things, and I've spoken about my flowery writing and all the things, I tell you one thing I had, Nance, and that was enthusiasm. I, I mm-hmm. was the freaking dropkick smiling at the chief of staff when they tapped me on the shoulder where everyone was just going, God, you're too nice to those chiefs of staff. And I know that's sort of my nature or whatever, but you're being handed some shit sandwich and you're doing it with a smile. (laughs) You've got a craft. That might be hard, but it's harder for the chief of staff to be the one coming over and asking you to do it, you know, because they're having to do that every day. You might only have to be doing that once. As a feature writer, you might only have to do that once a month, you know. You know, and so it's sort of like just... The thing I say, you know, more, more than anything, be that enthusiastic person who realises the power of time and that your ship is coming in. But it might take freaking five years to dock, but it's mm. coming, you know, so don't ever worry that it's not coming. In journalism, it always comes, right? Doesn't it? Like, it just... You will have your time to do your thing that you want to do. It just might take a little bit of work in, you know, in between, but I see it now. There's this bloody great journal I work with, Charlie Peel, he works on the Oz. He's just one of these guys. I see him come into the office. <laughs> he's freaking smiling from ear to ear because he knows. He knows he's in the best job in the world, you know, and I love watching him. I just go, man, good on you, mate. And another journal I sit near, Andrew McMillan, feature writer, freaking gets it because he worked his ass off for so many years as a freelance writer, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got this full-time music job on The Australian. He's writing up a storm. Every single thing he writes is quality and his enthusiasm for that shines through. You know what I mean? And, and I just love these people who you can tell they're digging every second, you know, and I just think that's the enthusiasm. It gets me excited even talking yeah. about it, talking to you about it because I just think it's so cool. Like when you find that thing <laughs> that you're born to do and, you know, if you're born to go stay in that newsroom, like stay there and be there and just be up for it, be so up for it and be be that person who's putting their hand up because I tell you, that goes so far. Like, you know, people mm. think, oh, I've got to give, I've got to get this mark in, in journalism or whatever. It'll be your enthusiasm that will that will really impress the chief of staff mm. and the chief of staff will be telling that to the editor and then that's how your ship comes in. Do you worry about the cutbacks, Trent? Do you worry about our newsrooms changing or is that still that beating heart still happening at the... Yeah, oh, no, I, you know, oh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm there like every other person just going, ugh, ugh, you know, and it mm. freaking hurts every time. I mean... You know, I'm telling you, like, friends I've known for, like, you know, 20 years. You know, 20 years. That's how long I've been going to that building. And and you're saying goodbye to them just because of the very nature of where journalism is. That's nothing to... I'm just saying big picture, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's so freaking tragic. And you're just kind of going, mate, you're a 
I can't even tell you how many emails I've sent where I've gone, what an honor it has been to work with you. You know, I worry as much as the next person, but I know how deeply versatile we actually are. Even though on paper we don't look that versatile, I do think <laughs> we have that ability to kind of roll with the punches and that's I'm, I'm actually seeing that on a daily mm. basis so that gives me some hope have just faith our, our resilience we can hang in there our own bloody resilience taught by the job mm. is the thing that gives me sucker bloody brutal times which is why I'm quite defensive about the job in the yes. sense of freaking hell stop giving <laughs> us a hard time things are bad enough you know mm. we don't need you hacking on the actual job you know what i mean and because... that's why we're doing this podcast trying yeah, to really yeah. show the the belief and and the ethics of the great practitioners of the craft yeah yeah and um but uh, that makes me think too i've asked everyone about the the media raids and some of the recent developments yeah, there yeah what what are your thoughts there is that a worrying development oh, you know just that was the real humdinger that put a chill down my spine. I guess we've always faced the possibility of those type of raids happening. I mean, I've seen it happen. I've seen it mm. like, you know, I've, I've, I know people who have been subject to that kind of thing. And I admire every last one of them, by the way, because I'm one of those guys who loses sleep at night regarding anything to do with his journalism. <laughs> it's just awful. It's like when, you know, that feeling when your story's about to come oh, out the yeah. next day or, you know, that horrible. And you wake up at 2 a.m. I, get, I like, spelled the name wrong. Oh, did I get, exactly. Did I get this? You know, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then you've got people who are facing jail time, you know, and you go far out, man. <laughs> it's that terrifying notion, that Orwellian notion that gets back to those fundamental reasons why Steinbeck wrote and why Orwell wrote is they were going for truth and these raids stand at the heart of truth right and it's mm. like i mean i'm talking big picture mm. philosophical what is at the heart of this it is there is a truth that they are trying to get at and we are trying to get out and they, they are trying to hide it and we are trying to get at it and that that is why i admire these guys who you know like the headleys like the mark willises you know these guys who just freaking put their sleep where their mouth is you know and i just think that's so impressive and that's why i'm very defensive when People have a chop at us, you know, and I'm sort of going, well, look, let me tell you about a guy. Let me tell you about this guy. Let me tell you about this guy. And, and then, what they've achieved and what those achieved. stories have achieved. Oh. Maybe we need to get better at communicating that. Communicating that. I've you always know, thought journos were a bit slack at that. You did Grester. You know, I remember, <laughs> I, remember Pete, I did, a, you know, spending time, massive sort of 4,000 word story with Peter's family when he was right in there, you know, and, he, and I was sort of, I just remember thinking, yeah, this bloke. And and the the ripple effect of of his courage, you know, of his mm. of his of what he needed to do as a journo, right? The ripple effect of that, and the the people around him who believed in in journalism, you know, it was very inspiring. And so, like, I'm sort of, yeah, I'm very defensive about it when people just in passing. I mean, it happens to me all the time, like a dinner party or something, and someone just has a little chop and I'm like wow that's a remarkable thing to say you know oh, yeah. when it's like you know when you think about the things that people have died for in the name of journalism you know what I mean and mm. kind of I don't know just what I've done for 20 years in my small small way in the suburbs of Brisbane or you know going up to Cairns or whatever you're trying yeah. to you're trying to do your best to kind of get some insight into this world mm. that we might not have had previously and, and now that you've do. you've yeah. wound all those stories through I loved reading all the <laughs> Names that I was familiar you. with through your book, and I felt like I was walking the streets oh, with you, Trent. And now we yeah. should we should really celebrate that, and that you're going to have a TV series made. <laughs> yeah. at least. That's a great way to finish. I mean, yeah, to go from this journo, the that? the hack. 
Still, yeah, do you still hack. have the hack there that, that's proud of, of being oh. taken up by Oprah and having oh, a TV series? And that's it. No, it's the hack that, that made all that happen. No, I mean, there's no doubt about it. And I'll always be that guy, you know? And I always, people keep asking me, like, oh, you're going to stay in journalism? It's like, I'll be a journalist for the rest of my life. Like, really? oh, man, like, just no yeah. freaking doubt whatsoever. Journal one, author two. That's it. That's it. Really? Well, I think that's it at heart because, and, and I need to be, I need to be that guy because it's that truth and all of that interesting stuff. You're just going out there in those suburbs and finding character. You're, you're, you're finding a natural narrative. You're finding all that stuff that inspires anything you're going to write in the fiction world, right? Like my work, my book is, yeah, it's a mix of nonfiction and fiction, but even the fiction sides are trying to go for a greater truth that I could never get to in nonfiction. You know, have you heard there's there's great sort of smarter people mm. than I have um, encapsulated that in better ways is that there's a higher truth, you know, there's a higher mm. truth that we're all searching for, you know. And I was just trying to use the fiction bits of that book to get to higher truths within my, myself to try and give myself those answers that I've searched for for 20 years. And, okay, these TV people, they're like these Hollywood people. It's really hilarious. Like they call up and they're like, what? What is this? What? What is this thing? this this voice they're like they're loving this this voice and I go that's just that's Queensland right like that's all it is that's all it's just like it's just that I'm reporting Queensland into that book in what is hopefully a true way that yeah. Queensland is reading go yeah that does actually feel like Queensland the that's voice of authenticity. authenticity I think it's in your book right? and it it's in true. your speaking yeah. voice that's well. it and that's how you get it that's how it comes people you know? connect to that People yeah keeping that authenticity that's so true and I wouldn't I don't think I'd have that if I didn't spend 20 years freaking knocking on doors you know and you know what I mean that's how you get that stuff and you get a sense I mean you live it as well that helped but like it's sort of like yeah the 20 years knocking mm. on doors really did help as well so oh, Trent yeah. thank you so much for your insights on the streets of your town the Journal oh, Project man Nets, what an honour from I'm, a fellow podcaster I know that you appreciate what goes into it. it I love the crowd it's so cool it's very exciting I think this what you're doing is like that's it that's your answer right there you know it's there's so many open doors and it's like it never stops. So thanks, Nance. It's That's been a joy. Wonderful. You're the best. Now, could I get you to read even one oh, aspect sure. of it? Like a favourite sure. part of your book. I oh, thought yeah, that would be yeah. a lovely yeah, way yeah. to uh, end uh, our discussion today. I'm glad you asked. This is... Um... <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. Here's a um, section that I sort of read sometimes. <laughs> Thank you. The, book, the book's essentially about this kid, Eli Bell, who gets a message on Christmas Day that he has to bust into Boggo Road Women's Prison on Christmas Day to save his mum's life. And uh, the section I'm reading is very kind of one of the most emotional sections in the book because it comes from kind of me wanting to see people in my own life who went away. So um, I'll read you this section. This is this is basically with the bit where Eli's made it into Boggo Road Women's Prison. And he's about to pro- approach his mum's jail cell. I tap my knuckle gently on the glass panel. She doesn't hear. I knock hard and quick. She doesn't hear me. I slip off the door and I jump back on again. Mom, I whisper. I knock again. Knock twice, then three times. The last one too loud, too hard. I look right up along the corridor. Laughter and applause still echo around the corner of B Block as the stars of when a child is born to hand jive. That's the Christmas um, musical that the women are putting on. Make their triumphant end show bows. Mom, I strain in a whisper. I knock louder. Two heavy bangs and she turns her head to me. Finds me looking frantically at her through the window. Mom, I whisper. I smile. And she lights up for a flicker. A light switches on inside her and switches off just as fast. Merry Christmas, Mum. 
and I'm crying now. Of course I'm crying now. I didn't know how much I needed to cry for her until now. Hanging by my fingers to the door of cell 24 in the Boggo Road women's clink. Merry Christmas, Mum. And I beam at her. See, Mum? See? After all this... After all these mad moments, after Lyle, after Slim, after you getting put away, it's still the same old me. Nothing changes, Mum. Nothing changes me. Nothing changes you. I love you more, Mum. You think I love you less, but I love you more because of all of it. I love you. See? See that on my face. That gets me real. That gets me real. It's just, it shows why we're in this gig, and I really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Thanks, From the heart. Oh, no, what a pleasure. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for having me. That was Trent Dalton, Jewel Walkley Award winning journalist and author of the international best selling novel Boy Swallows Universe. Streets of Your Town is produced by Nance Haxton, a.k.a. The Wandering Journo, with production assistance from Michael Adams. That's it for this episode. I'm Nance Haxton. Stay up to date with the latest episode of Streets of Your Town by subscribing on your podcast app on iTunes or SoundCloud. See you next time.
And that, that is the way I work as a journo. I fumble my way to meaning. And that, that is a very important thing to remember sometimes. But yeah, but back, 